Yeah, so today I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, Advent some more. And for those who, who may not know, um, this is the season of Advent. And Advent is a word that has Latin roots, and it means simply coming. And Christians use this period of time uh, before Christmas to prepare for the celebration of Jesus' birth. And it's also a time of repentance and meditation while we are anticipating Christ's second coming. And that's the one we're all really waiting for, right? Jesus, come back, come back soon. We are ready. We need you to establish your throne undeniably in the earth. But Advent, um, for those of you who may know, there's a Christian calendar. You know, we've got our Christian flag. We've got all kinds of Christian stuff. There's a Christian calendar as well. And the Christian calendar actually starts with Advent. This is the beginning of our Christian calendar. And again, it is uh, the, the beginning, and then it culminates at Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So for a lot of Christians, Advent um, and Advent candles are a favorite way to celebrate the month of December leading up to Christmas Day. And although Advent candles are really popular with some people, uh, a lot of us probably, probably aren't aware with some of the prophetic meaning and the symbolism that is rooted in this tradition. So I want to share just some background just so we kind of have some understanding and appreciate what we're trying to do a little more. As Eric had shared, you know, sometimes when you're, you're charismatic, you, you work so hard at being not religious that you just like abandon everything that has any kind of, you know, if it's older than 50 years, then it can't be of God any longer. You can laugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's our problem. That's us. See, that's me. You know, we, we, we can barely sing songs that are like five years old <laughs> before we're like bored out of our mind. Oh, this song again. Yes, this one again. There's some deep meaning in this if you listen and actually ingest it. But... We, uh, we tend to abandon stuff, and, and maybe it's our old age, and we're not so uh, trying to be cutting edge. We're trying to find our roots a little deeper, amen? So anyway, um, usually Advent candles are arranged usually within a, a wreath. So maybe you're probably familiar with that. And the Advent wreath actually first appeared in Germany in 1839. And it was a Lutheran pastor by the name of Johann Heinrich Wilkum, 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 Hilkum, something. Phil Wickham. That's probably where he came from, this guy. Anyway, Johann actually pioneered urban mission work among the poor. And so he was working at a mission center for children, and he had actually created the first wreath, but it was out of a wagon wheel. And he placed 20 uh, small red candles and four large white candles around the ring. And the red candles were lit on weekdays, and the four white candles were lit on Sundays. Now, eventually, the Advent wreath was uh, converted to evergreens, which for evergreen, it was actually a prophetic symbol of the everlasting life that we experience even in the midst of of winter, death, darkness. The circular shape of the wreath actually symbolizes 
God's complete and unending love for us, right? A love that is sent to us through his son who came to redeem us from the curse of sin. And the circle also represents eternal life, which is ours through faith in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, there's some additional decorations that sometimes you'll see with Christmas wreaths, and that's like holly and berries. And the red berries are actually to point us ahead to Easter, which is Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection. Now, the most common Advent tradition, however, it it involves four candles. And a new candle is lit each of the four Sundays before Christmas. And maybe you didn't know this either, but actually each candle, the four, actually represents 1,000 years. And when you add all those together, four times 1,000, 4,000, good, that's good math. 4,000 years is actually the time that humanity waited from Adam and Eve to Jesus. So the four candles not only represent the 4,000 years that humanity waited for the first coming of Christ, they also represent hope, peace, joy, and love. And the first candle, which we lit last, last week, was the hope candle. It's purple. And again, this, this candle is called the hope candle. It's also called the prophecy candle. And it represents the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, which is the hope of our salvation. Now, the second candle is also a purple candle, and it's, also, it's known as the Bethlehem candle or the peace candle. And it symbolizes the peace that Christ brings into the world, into the hearts of us as believers. The third candle is the pink candle, and it is referred to as the shepherd's candle or the joy candle. And it signifies the joy experienced in knowing that Jesus Christ is near. He's so near. And then the fourth candle, which is another purple candle, it is the angel candle or the love candle. And it represents the love of God coming down to earth through Christ, which was announced by the angels. Amen. Amen. Now, the first and second and fourth candles, again, like I said, are purple. Third candle is pink or rose colored sometimes. And the purple color actually symbolizes royalty. It symbolizes repentance and fasting. So again, this is a season where we, we are in repentance. We're meditating and waiting for Christ to return and to get you know, become that pure spotless bride that he's called us to be. Now the pink color actually represents rejoicing. And so we light the first two purple candles and then we light the pink one Rejoicing because, uh, and, and, and we're rejoicing because rejoicing is our response to the good news, right? The good news, Christ has come. Joy to the world. Our Messiah has come. Now, sometimes there's a fifth candle, and it's a white candle, and it symbolizes purity and holiness. It's also known as the Christ candle. And it's placed in the middle, and it is usually lit on Christmas Day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, we've already lit uh, lit our white candle because we're not going to be in church on Christmas Day. But a lot of families, when they start this tradition, um, they start lighting uh, the first candle on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And then every Sunday thereafter, they light 
another candle. So last week, we lit the hope or prophecy candle. This week, we're lighting the Bethlehem. Now, another aspect of symbolism that Advent candles also demonstrate is a contrast between darkness and light. And this is a very important biblical image, right? Because Jesus referred to himself as what? The light of the world, right? He said that in John 8, 12. He said, uh, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, the other thing that these candles are to remind us is that we also are meant to shine the light of Christ in the world. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, he says, you, say me, me. you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Amen. So today we light the second candle, which is the Bethlehem candle. And again, it represents peace. It symbolizes uh, the preparations that are being made to actually receive and cradle the, the, the baby Jesus, as he used to be born. Now, the Bethlehem story is an interesting story, and I want you to think about this. It's a, it's a story about a humble couple who are on an unwanted journey at a very inconvenient time, and they're going to go visit a tiny, insignificant town. And the story about the journey of Bethlehem we can find in actually in Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Colin, why don't you come on up, buddy? <clears throat> so we've got Caesar here, and he was ruling the time and called for a census to be taken. Now, we could say that Caesar was why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, Right? But how many know God's actually the one in charge, right? So God actually used the Caesar's uh, decree to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, just so you can get a kind of a picture of that, way up there at the top, Nazareth, all the way down at the bottom is um, Bethlehem. 80 miles to fulfill God's word. And this distance, if you want to think about it in our terms, it would kind of be like uh, traveling from uh, Fort Wayne to the little town of Newcastle, 
but instead walking, riding a donkey. Pregnant. Pregnant. Yeah, so even though there's no room for Mary and Joseph at the end, God had completely orchestrated these events. But again, remember, this is a humble couple on an unwanted journey at an inconvenient time to visit a tiny, insignificant town. And Mary and Joseph had to leave Nazareth so that they could register in Bethlehem. And this had to happen to fulfill Scripture, actual prophecies that would be fulfilled about the Messiah. All right, Cohen, you can go ahead and play. So this prophecy is actually in Micah chapter 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. You know, Israel actually lived in the shadow of this prophecy as they were waiting for the coming of their Messiah. And you know, when I was studying this, I I couldn't help but think and imagine Israel singing this hymn, even though it wasn't written in that day. But imagine them just singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And, you know, we sing it now because we're also waiting for Jesus to come. It's his second coming. It's his second advent. Thank you, Colin. Amen. I think that song still expresses the longing of our hearts to see Jesus return to the earth. And the second coming. Amen. Amen. So as we draw near to the birth of Jesus, we begin to see just how specific God was about giving his people directions to the main event. Right? Micah 5, we read a prophecy. Guess how long before Jesus came this prophecy was out? 735 years before the birth of Christ this prophecy came. And yet it's as specific as if it was just given like just like days before. In fact, when the Magi arrived at Herod's residence, they explained to the king that Jesus is supposed to be born in Bethlehem by quoting these scriptures, this prophecy. God did exactly what he said he would do. 
And you know, Micah tells us so many things. He tells us where the Messiah is going to be born. He tells us that he will come from the tribe of Judah. He tells us that he's going to rule in Israel and that the Messiah is eternal and divine, but he's also going to rule on the earth. He'll be a shepherd to his people. And this one, this one will be our peace. Everyone say, Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my peace. Now, Bethlehem, it was the smallest clan of Judah. It's a very insignificant town just outside of Jerusalem, like it's just south of Jerusalem. Yet God didn't choose Jerusalem for the birthplace of the Messiah. Like, I mean, they literally probably had to go through Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem. Instead, God chose a tiny, insignificant town as the location for the birth of the one who is literally going to change the world. And this is the first of many, many reminders that God loves even the insignificant of the world. So, Mary and Joseph, they head south to fulfill a prophecy that was given roughly 735 years prior to this moment. And literally, Mary is pregnant with the prophetic promise of God. Like, literally, you know? And, you know, I think about when I was writing this about a lot of you. When I look around this room, I I see a church that's full of people who are also pregnant with the prophetic promises of God. You know, everyone here is waiting for for God to fulfill something he said to you. Amen? Amen? Advent is a time of anticipation. And ultimately, again, we're all awaiting the final return of Jesus, but we are also waiting and anticipating God's will to come forth in each of our lives, to come to pass just like he said it would. There are promises and prophetic words we each and every one of us hold dearly and we cherish in our hearts about God's will for our lives. Amen. You know, when we read in Luke chapter 1 about the birth of Jesus being prophesied by the angel Gabriel, Mary's first response was a big question mark says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, this is impossible. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary's mind was changed. And she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, when Mary said, May it be done to me according to your word, it meant that from that point on, her life would be part of the fulfillment of a divine prophecy. God had promised that a Savior would be a Jew, 
who would be from the tribe of Judah, the family of David, in the city of David. And all of this occurred just as Scripture said it would. But it took humility for Mary and Joseph to obey God. Because they were a humble couple on an unwanted journey at an inconvenient time to visit a tiny, insignificant town. So here's my first question I want to ask us. Where are you at in the place of humility? Where in your heart are you, have you lost humility? Are you willing to obey God on an unwanted journey to what looks like an insignificant place? Have you lost the heart that says, may it be done to me according to your word? I know I've lost it a time or two. Sometimes days, sometimes weeks I've lost it, months. We all lose hope sometimes that God's promises would come to pass. In my life, in the life of our church. But that's what grace is for. Even Joseph struggled with what God was doing. And he struggled with Mary's pregnancy. It tells us in Matthew 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Jesus, Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph had a moment of weakness, of questioning. We have moments of weakness. We have moments of questioning. But God, through his wonderful grace helped Joseph along in his struggle to understand in, his, in his, his, own, his ability to try to work this out and make it work according to his own wisdom and knowledge. God in his grace helped Joseph in his weakness, in his struggles, and God in his grace is helping us in our weakness and in our struggles. Now you may be saying, but Tom... I didn't think this would be the journey I would be on. I didn't think things would go in this direction. I know. 
I mean, imagine the weight that must have fallen upon Mary and Joseph when they heard this decree. I mean, Mary's heavily pregnant. And Joseph is burdened with the responsibility of getting his family to Bethlehem. I mean, it was not just an inconvenient journey. It was an unwanted one. I mean, think about the physical and emotional toil this journey must have taken on Mary, who's carrying this very precious gift of God within her womb. All right? Think of the dusty roads, the discomfort, the uncertainty. We got to stop. I got to pee again. I can't see my ankles anymore. When are we going to be done? Can we walk faster? Why are we walking so fast? I'm hungry. could really use a fig covered in hummus right now. I don't know why. I just am craving that. I just... 80 miles. You know, in our lives, how many times have you encountered an unwanted journey? Unforeseen circumstances, unexpected turns that seem to disrupt our wonderful plans. You know, just like Joseph and Mary faced the burden of this unplanned, unwanted journey, we too also many times can find ourselves on paths that we did not choose. But let's remember that God's divine plan unfolds even in the midst of our unwanted journeys. Because believe it or not, these journeys, even though they can be challenging and painful, and I don't want to be on this journey, they hold the key to the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. When we embrace the unexpected, we may discover a deeper trust in God's sovereignty. And a profound sense of peace. Say peace. A profound sense of peace knowing that he is with us in this unwanted journey every step of the way. Now you may think, well, but Tom, the timing isn't right. This isn't, the timing's not, I'm too busy got too many other important things in my life right now. I don't have time to focus on God's will for my life. I know. So Galatians talks about this timing with Mary. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You know, here we've got the Apostle Paul, and he's beautifully, he's captured the essence of God's timing for sending his son to the world. This, what looked like the, an inconvenient or an inconvenient census decree by Caesar, it wasn't just coincidence. We've already heard that it was a part of God's grand plan, that it was aligning everything with his perfect timing. I mean, think about it. The Roman census was not chosen for its convenience. It was a time when people were required to return to their ancestral homes. 
And that meant major disruption of daily routines. Major disruption of their job. How many inconveniences do you think they felt when they had to go or else? And the timing was not good, right? Again, Mary and Joseph, Mary's pregnant, ninth month of pregnancy. Ladies, do you remember that? Imagine the challenges they faced, the discomfort, the uncertainty. And yet, in this very inconvenient time in their life, the Savior of the world was born. We have to come to terms with God's timing is impeccable. Even though this census, it seemed random, And our human understanding, it was the precise moment when prophecy was fulfilled. The prophet Micah had foretold that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And again, I think about our own lives. I think about how often we face inconvenient times. Moments when circumstances seem to collide with our plans And our expectations. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe you're going through a health crisis. Maybe some kind of personal struggle. These inconvenient times may leave us questioning, why now? Why now? But just like the story of Mary and Joseph, God's perfect timing is at work in our lives. Right now. In the inconvenience, there is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness and his power to us. It's in these inconvenient times that we are invited to trust his divine plan. Recognizing, believing, accepting that God's timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. You may think, well, Tom, Newcastle is just so insignificant. My job, my school, my life, it's just all so very insignificant. Why would God's will be here? Why would it be here in Newcastle or in New Covenant? Why would my prophetic purpose be revealed and manifested here? Well, again, let's remember what Micah said. It says, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Most would say that Bethlehem was a very insignificant town. But why was the opposite, the exact what, what was actually true? Why was Bethlehem significant? Well, it was because Bethlehem held a unique place in the lineage of David, which was Israel's greatest king. See, it was in Bethlehem that David, the shepherd boy, was actually anointed by Samuel to become the future king. 
says in Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to, to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Verse 11, And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet a youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ready and handsome, beautiful eyes and handsome young man. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. <clears throat> then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. See, it's out of this humble town of Bethlehem that came forth this king whose lineage would ultimately lead to the birth of the true one king, Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about our seemingly insignificant lives, we have to remember that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Bethlehem a town that had no significant political or cultural influence. That place was chosen for the birthplace of the Savior. And in the eyes of the world, it seemed completely insignificant. But in God's plan, it held a profound significance. 1 Corinthians 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, <clears throat> even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God intentionally chose a small and humble town to emphasize that His power it transcends worldly expectations. Bethlehem was a canvas upon which God painted the masterpiece of redemption. Bethlehem was not merely a place on the map for this humble couple. It was also a reminder of their lineage, their heritage. But little did they know that this journey held the key to the fulfillment, again, of this ancient prophecy. <clears throat> and you know, I think in our lives, we find ourselves sometimes in seemingly insignificant places or situations. Places where our talents, our influence, our impact seems like it's pretty limited. Yet the story here in Bethlehem reminds us that God is, often chooses the small and the humble to accomplish His greatest purposes. <clears throat> and when we can re reconcile <coughs> our expectations with what God is actually doing in this humble place where He's placed us, we can reconcile that we can find peace 
the striving starts to go away. The pressure starts to go away. You know, like this candle, the light of peace will pierce through the darkness of our lives. You know, I think about the light of the candles again and can symbolize the God's glory shining even in the insignificant places in my life, your life. Because our peace is found in understanding that our significance is not determined by worldly standards. It is determined by God's intentional choice and plan for our lives. Amen? So let's just take a moment to reflect. Just close your eyes. I would like you to just ask God, just in this moment, to reveal his purpose and the significance of the seemingly ordinary aspects of your life right now. Ask the Lord to help you to embrace the truth that he can use the small and what seems unimportant to bring about his divine and extraordinary purposes. Maybe you're in that place that feels like now is not a good time to focus on God's will for your life. I want you to ask the Lord to remind you that even in the inconvenient times of your life, God is at work. Because His light shines brightest in the moments that seem darkest to us. We find peace when we surrender our timeline to God. Trusting that His plans are far greater than our own. Take a moment. Ask God to help you trust His timing even when it feels inconvenient. Knowing that he is working all things for your good. Maybe you feel like you don't want to be on this journey that you're on right now. But it is the light of peace that shines even in the darkest moments of our unwanted journeys. We can find peace in the truth that God is at work in our lives, weaving a beautiful tapestry of His grace, His mercy, His love. Right now, if that's you, ask God to grant you the strength and faith to trust Him in your unwanted journey right now.
And I'm asking you to reflect. I'm asking you to ask God for help today because that is what humility looks like. It's asking for help and then giving God your big yes. Humility means you follow where he leads you. Humility means you're walking the path that his light is shining ahead of you. Let's humble ourselves this Christmas season. Let's follow this example of Joseph and Mary on their journey to Bethlehem. Let's let our lives and the words of our mouth declare peace on earth, goodwill to men as we walk in our own prophetic destiny and shine the light of Jesus in this dark world. Now maybe you're here today And you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've never received Him as Lord. But you feel like you're still on an unwanted journey. It's an inconvenient time. What I've been telling you all morning is Jesus is the peace to all the turmoil. So if you're here today with everyone's eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, to submit and give control of your life to Him so that He can be the Prince of Peace in your life, if you've never asked Him, but today you want that more than anything, I want you just to raise your hand so I can see it real high. Jesus, I need you today. I need you more than anything. If that's you, just raise your hand. Well, maybe you're here and you said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but you've been living like a big no when it comes to God's will. You've been running from his will. You've been running from his presence. You've been out doing life on your own terms. God's calling you back, if that's you. If that's you here today and you want to come back, you want to rededicate your life, you want to say, give God your big yes again, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand so high so I can see it. Thank you, I see that hand. See your hand. Anyone else ready to give God your big yes again? I'm tired of running. I need the Prince of Peace. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you would just pray it after me, just repeat after me. And I'm just going to give you words, just words to help your heart express what it needs to express to God. But just say this, say, Father God, I surrender my life to your will once again. 
I ask you, God, to fill me with the light of Jesus, to break the darkness, and to bring hope again. I surrender my life to this inconvenient time, to this unwanted journey, to this insignificant place that I feel I'm in. I surrender it all. And I say yes to you one more time. Come into my heart. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Light of the world, fill me now. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my yes. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to share our action plan, but if once we're done, we're going to leave the music on. And if you want to come to the altar and spend some time with the Lord in repentance, if you need prayer, I would like you to come down. We'll have our prayer teams available. Here's our action plan for this week. I want you to identify where you're lacking peace. Is it in the place of being humble enough to obey? Are you lacking peace because you feel like you're on an unwanted journey? Does it feel like this isn't a good time to focus on God's will for your life? Or maybe you just feel like you're an insignificant person in an insignificant place. Just ask God to shine his light into each of these areas. And this week, our reading plan, we're reading Luke chapters 3 and 4. Continue to Press in with your journal, Lexu Divina, and we're memorizing Colossians 1.18. If you're here and you need more prayer, please come down. We're going to dismiss in prayer. If you want to just come to the altar and no one will mess with you, just kneel at the altar. You can do that. Just take your conversations out, please. Father, we thank you for the story of how Jesus was born. We thank you, God, for the the picture and the, the journey that Mary and Joseph went on and how it can inspire us to press in, to give you our big yes again, to humble ourselves on this unwanted journey at an inconvenient time to an insignificant place. God, I thank you for the grace that you used to carry us along and the mercy and the love that you just you keep helping us say yes over and over. So God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.